Okay, so turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Um, I always kind of stress that it's very important to read um, books of the Bible as units because um, a, every book of the Bible was written by a particular author and he has written that book because he has certain things to say about certain subjects. And because they're written by single authors for the most part, um, it comes from the heart and the mind of a person and it, it kind of reveals his personality. And But the, the thing about books is when you read a book, it, a, a particular author might be talking about several different subjects during that book and and sometimes they'll they'll flow out of that conversation and they'll flow back into it and they'll tie it back in and and things of that nature but anyway just saying all that to say that uh I want to just read through Romans 10 and 11 tonight because we finished Romans 9 last time and uh Romans 9 10 and 11 are one whole um you can't really separate any of them from, from the other ones. Um, nine is, of course, the most important part and has the most meat in it and, and things of that nature. But Romans 10 and Romans 11 tie directly into Romans 9 and they, comp they, they make a complete thought. So when you're reading Romans, it's, it's always best when you're reading in this section to read those three chapters together. So... So basically what we're going to do is basically we're just going to read uh, chapters 10 and 11. And I think this is probably going to be fairly quick, but you never know. A lot of times I think things are going to be fast and it turns out that they're not. So, so in Romans 10 verse 1, this is Paul speaking. He said, Brother, my heart's desire and my pray to God for them, talking about the Israelites, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Now again, think of what we're saying. We're talking about a people who are very religious as a whole. And, and uh, that's something that we really need to stress is that just because people appear to be religious doesn't mean that they are. And when I use the word religious, see, the, the thing is, is we have this thing in, in the modern church where we're like, well, religion is a bad thing. Religion is not a bad thing. It's, uh, it talks about in James chapter one, uh, it, it talks about that there's pure a pure uh, religion that is pure and undefiled. And it's to love widows and orphans and to love God and all that kind of stuff. So religion is not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, man is a religious um for lack of a better term, man is a religious animal, okay? And I know man is not on the same level that animals are, but I'm just using that as a term. But man is born to be religious. We, we seek, it's in the heart of mankind to seek a religious experience. That's why there's so many false religions, because um, basically all false religions are is, is religion without God. It's, it's religion and doing all the religious external things and, and the religious trappings and the, the ceremonies and the formulas and things like that, but without having to subject yourself to God. And um, 
So yeah, um, so when John, when Paul is speaking about the Jews, he's speaking about a very religious people. And um, just like we were studying, like the book of Romans is over and over, it talks about the separation. That, and the, the problem is that the Jews were, were following circumcisions, they were keeping the Sabbath, they, they were all about the foods that you eat. And they thought that in these things, these things made you closer to God. These things were able to bring you into the presence of God, which they could never do. These things, all they, all that they were doing in the Old Testament for was that they simply pointed you to God and they pointed you to the, uh, to, to search your own heart and to see the inadequacies that are in the hearts of mankind and the inadequacies of being able to please God on our own works, on our own merits, on our own abilities, and that we need something outside of ourselves. It's not the shell of religion that saves us. It's got to be the heart of religion, which is Jesus Christ himself. So back to verse 3, he says, For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, if, if you truly understood the law, if you were truly um, your heart was open to the Holy Spirit and truly trying to find God through the law, you would see that the, the end of that whole law, the end of the Ten Commandments, the end of everything in that Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. And now Jesus had come to be the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament, the entire Old Covenant. And, and the, the problem is, is that the Jews of Paul's times and also the Jews in our times, even to this very day, were rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. It says in verse 4 again, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that that man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. Verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we're preaching. And when you read that, I mean, it's just this huge mouthful and you're like, well, what is he saying? And so to completely understand this, we have to go back to, again, where he's quoting from. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy 30. So if you want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verse 10. Now, in Deuteronomy 28 and in Deuteronomy um 29 and in Leviticus 32 in the Old Testament God lays out the blessings and the curses of following the law and basically what what they did is Moses had half the people stand on one mountain and the other half of the people stand on the other mountain and Moses told them all the blessings of keeping the law of God and he also told them all the curses of not keeping the, uh, the law of God and so Basically, that's what we're looking at in, in, uh, in uh, Deuteronomy 30. So I just want to start in verse 1. He says, So it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. Now again, keep in mind that this is the biblical God, right? Um, the God of... Uh, 
most mega churches that you go to, the God of, of the uh, uh, 21st century church that we go to is all about the blessings, but nothing about the curses, right? And it's all about how God's going to bless you. He's going to give you everything you want. He's going to give you a wife, kids, a house, cars, and all these things. God's going to bless you. He's going to give you a bank account. He's going to do all these things for you. But the church says very little about, well, what happens if I don't follow God? Or what happens if, I, or if, if, I, if I'm following him, but I cease to follow him? In verse 2, and that's what that's the thing that's awesome about the Bible, and that's the thing that's awesome about Jesus. Jesus tells us the truth. He gives us both sides of the coin. He doesn't, he doesn't, and that's the thing. Jesus is not a salesman, and the gospel is not something that we sell for cheap. Here you go, you can have this gospel, and it costs you nothing, right? Jesus said, or uh, Paul, uh, David said, I will not give anything to the Lord that did not cost me something. And the gospel is something that costs us. If we truly come to God, and it's called the cross. And if we're going to walk the way of the cross, it's going to cost us everything, right? Verse 2, if you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and will have compassion on you and will gather you from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If you're outcasts or at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you will possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. The Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you will again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments which I command you today. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your cattle, and in the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in this book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul from this commandment which I command you today, listen to what he says, it is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reason. It is, and this is where Paul is quoting from. He says, "It's not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it, so uh, and and make us hear it that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it." Look what he says in verse 14. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. You see that? So he's saying. And it's, again, it's all predicated on obedience to the Lord, right? If you obey me, I will bless you. And again, we have to understand that God's blessings are not always monetarily. God's blessings are not always the things that we want. And, and sometimes we can pray and ask God for things and he not necessarily give those to us because he loves us and because he knows what's best for us and stuff. So his blessings aren't always monetary things. His blessings are always, and these are the things that we should always look for. His blessings first and foremost are spiritual, right? 
there's a scripture I can't think of the the location offhand. It says, but it says it talks about how God sent His Son Jesus to bless you by turning you from your wicked ways. And so the blessings that God gives and the blessings that we should really seek are the blessings of His favor, the blessings of I, I've been reading a lot lately about prayer, and I don't I don't know about you guys, but prayer is a mystery to me because it, it, it's sometimes it's so hard. It is, is it so hard to, to be, you know, it's like me personally, sometimes there's been times in my life when I've wanted to be someone that really prays and that just really stays in the presence of the Lord and really seeks the Lord and stuff. And so what I'll do is I'll, 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 I'll say, well, I'm going to get up at four o'clock in the morning every day and I'm going to spend such and such time with the Lord and stuff like that. And then I, I do it and it's working, but then I find that it it's becoming routine and it's become, it becomes rote and things. And it's like, well, I don't want that, you know? And then, so it's like, then you don't pray and then, then you you don't, you know what I'm saying? And so the, the blessings that God truly wants to pour out on us is to make us a spiritual people. To make us a people that love him with all of our hearts and love him supremely above everything and want to be in his presence. And it's a love affair when when we're coming to him and we're laying aside those things and we're laying aside everything that hinders and we're drawing near to him. And it's not about the time and it's not about the what I think that I'm supposed to do. It's not about that I need to do this or this is my religious duty or anything like that. But it's like, Lord, I just want to be in your presence. And when our mindset becomes that, and, and, and it's, it's like, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. Whatever you want me to do, I will do that and stuff. When, when our mindset becomes like that, then he pours those blessings out on us and he begins to draw us to himself. And that's the thing that we are missing in the American church. We want the physical blessings. We want the monetary things. We want the, the, the things we can touch and taste and feel. And we're becoming just like the Israelites. Because that's what their religion was. What you could taste, what you could feel, what you could see, what you could say to say, look how God has blessed me with this new donkey. Look what God has blessed me with this new house and stuff. And look, God has given me a new slave or whatever. And that's the way the American church has become, is we're focused on these outward things rather than God wants to bless you by drawing your heart to him. Amen. Um, turn to Matthew chapter 11. And the thing about it is, is... What he's saying here in Romans and what he was saying in Deuteronomy is that what Paul is trying to make, the point that he's trying to make is that um, this, this is not hard. This is not a difficult thing. And, 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 and in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus is saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's what Jesus was speaking to these people. Now imagine this. Like, on every Sabbath, they have to go through their entire houses with a dustpan and a broom looking for yeast and leaven and sweeping it all up. They have to have different refrigerators, one for clean foods, one for unclean foods. They're, they have to be circumcised. They have to, they have to wash their hands after they touch everything. On the Sabbath, you can't even turn on a light switch, you know. 
and, and things of that nature. And so it's a religion of burdens. It's a religion of rules that weigh people down. Jesus talked about the Pharisees. He says, you cross, you, you travel over land and sea to make one convert. And when you do, you make him twice the son of hell as yourself. And so again, it's all about this trying to please him in the things that we do, trying to please him in our flesh and it's bondage. There are so many rules, so many things that you have to do, so many things that you have to keep. And I'm not at all saying that if you're a Christian that you don't have to keep rules, that you don't have to um, um, walk circumspect and things like that. And there, there is obviously a lot of self-discipline that we have to do. But when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and again, you're drawing near to him and he's... And that's the thing. When we draw near to him, he pours his strength into us. He pours his spirit. He gives us the spirit. And that's the, the, the Holy Spirit. You know, I see so many people, so many charismatic churches that talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and hopefully we'll talk about this in, in not too long or whatever. But the, the, the thing about it is, is their focus is the Holy Spirit came to give you power. And you're going to lay hands on people and they're going to be healed. You're going to breathe and you're going to wave your hands and people are going to fall down. You're going you're gonna to do all these miracles in the name of the Lord. Well, the Holy Spirit came to draw us to the Father. And he came to, he came and he comes to make us holy and he comes to draw us and he comes to bring us into his presence. And that's the whole, that's the main thing about the Holy Spirit. And if we're seeking him so that we can have power gifts or that we can prophesy and everyone's going to see, look at this prophet, look at this man or this woman of God, the, the Holy Spirit's not in that at all, right? But the thing about it is, is when we follow Jesus and we truly come into his presence, he gives us his spirit. And it's, it's like any other relationship. The more we fall in love with him, the more he gives himself to us. And that's what it, and that's when it becomes easy. It becomes this easy thing. Lord, I don't have to do these things. All I got to do is come into your presence. All I got to do is, is let you Come and fill me with your spirit and everything will flow out of that. And again, that's not to say that, you know, life will be easy for us. We won't have temptations. We won't be persecuted or anything like that at all. I mean, because we're always going to have that. So again, so when Jesus is, uh, when, when Paul is saying that, he's saying that like you, you guys are trying to please God on your own. You're trying to please him through these, these works, these ceremonies, these these uh, laws, washing the things and, and stuff, all these things will not please him. The only thing that truly pleases him is faith. When we believe that he is who he says he is, when we believe that he's the Messiah who has come not only for Jew, but also for Gentile, and he will come to anyone who opens their heart to him. Amen? Um, back to Romans chapter 10. So... He says, I'll start in verse six again. It says, but the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. Look at this in verse nine, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's the thing. Again, is it's not this this difficult thing where we we have to 
we're, we're working to please him. It's like we just allow his spirit to come into our hearts and, and, and then the, it, I'm not, then it, it just flows from us. Amen. Turn to John six twenty six. John six twenty six. The people were looking for Jesus, and in verse 26, they found him. And Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, this is after Jesus had fed the 5,000. He says, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but, for the, but work for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal." Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And again, this is the heart of mankind. What do we have to do to be pleasing right. to God? What do we have to do? Do I have to go to church? Do I have to say Hail Marys? Do I have to make confessions to a priest? When I when I sin, do I have to you know, do I have what do I have to do? Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So again, that's that's where they're missing it. They're trying to do all these things and they're they're completely missing that all you got to do is believe in him and then he will come into your heart and tra and begin to transform you. And in John 3 verse 16. And so again, this was the fault of the Jews. This was uh in in Paul's time that he's writing to is because they they re they rejected Jesus as the Messiah and they were trying to um, because we're, we're good Jews. We go to the temple. We do, we do sacrifices. We do all these other, and even David said in the old test, old Testament sacrifices and meal offerings, you have not desired, mm -hmm. but you have desired a pure heart. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, that's the, in the heart of mankind It's what we do. It's like, God, this is what I can do to please you. And God says, what you can do to me, to please me is believe in my son, Jesus as the Messiah. And receive him into your heart. And in John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. We all usually stop right there. And yes, that's awesome. God didn't come to condemn me. He didn't come to judge me. He came to save me. But it continues in verse 18. It says, He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because, why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. How is he saying their deeds were evil in context? Their deeds were evil in that they did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Said for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Um, John five, verse thirty six. This is Jesus. He's talking about John the Baptist in verse thirty six. He says, "But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John." For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify me that the Father has sent me. Now think of this. Jesus did all that he, he, 
He was around the Jews for three years, doing miracle after miracle, and all they could ever do was try to find ways to trip him up, right? All they could ever do was like try to try to accuse him, and you know, it's it's like if if I was around someone that's raising people from the dead, that's healing people, that's casting out demons from people, that should make any person, especially a religious person, stop and say, "Is this man real or is he not?" Now, I know that there are so many people that, I mean, we've seen videos of people that do the fake miracles and, and people that, that are, you know, just wowing the crowds and stuff like that. But Jesus, he would take a man whose, whose hand was withered and, and make it and restore it. He would take people that were blind and make them see again. He would take people that couldn't walk and cause them to walk again. These miracles testified that he was from God, and yet the Jews' hearts were so hardened that they couldn't believe it. And we got people that people follow by the multitudes that can make someone's leg grow longer than the other one. They can, they can do these, you know, they can make someone's headache go away. What about people's arms being restored? What about people's sight being restored? What about people being able to walk again? Verse 37, and the father who sent me, he has testified of me. And, and the thing is, okay, I'm not saying that they're false. I'm not saying that they're fake or anything like that. But if I'm one of those people and I read the Bible, I'm crying out to God and saying, God, if you're real, you can do it again. If you could heal someone then, you can heal people now. And I'm not talking about healing someone's headache or, or causing, you know, causing someone's muscle spasms to go away. I'm talking about people that have no legs, people that have no sight, people that can't hear. Yeah. And Jesus did this on a regular basis. Yeah. It wasn't uncommon for him. It wasn't something that, yeah, five years ago, I healed this person of, of, of tinnitus. He did it on a regular basis. And if I'm one of those people that calls myself a healer, I'm asking God, why can't I do it? And I, and, and, and I look at the church and we have all these people are so, so look at the things that I do for God. Look at all these miracles. Where are the miracles? Yeah. I'm not talking about little drips and draps and little this and that. I'm talking about when you do stuff and the water's part and and god is in the midst yeah. and there is change that is undeniable yeah. and it's not something that like well i got this doctor's note that said you know i'm better or something like that and then three months later you find out that she still got the cancer yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. the father who sent me has testified to me you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form you do not have his word abiding in you. Why? Because you do not believe him whom he sent. Look at this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's these that testify of me, but you're unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Back to Romans 10. Actually, I'm going to keep reading there. Verse 41, he says, I do not receive glory for men and Honestly, guys, I, I see so much in the church today. So many big names and stuff. And they're just, it's, it's glory from men. 
Oh, look at this. Look at this prophet. Look at this apostle. Look at this man of God. All we got to do is pay $5,000 to go to his <laughs> class for six days. And, and you'll have the same thing. Well, that sounds to me like the seven sons of Siva. You know, you we want to buy the purchase. We want to purchase the gift of God from the great man. He says, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the father. The one who accuses you is Moses. And again, we're the followers of Moses, right? He gave us the Ten Commandments. He gave us the laws. He gave us the commandments. He, 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 him and Abraham, they're our fathers. Verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And again, we've said it time and time again, all this stuff was in the Old Testament the whole time. The whole, and, and we're going to look at some of that too in, in Romans chapter 10. Back to Romans 10. He says, verse 9 again, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And now, about the confession too, Paul told Timothy, make the good confession before men. And he talks about how Jesus made the good confession. And so when he says, when you confess with your mouth, he's not just saying, go to somebody and say, you know what, Jesus is Lord. For these people in their time to say Jesus was Lord, not only would the Jews try to kill him, but also the Romans would try to kill him. So it was not a light thing for them to, to confess Jesus Christ as their Savior, right? When they confessed Jesus Christ as their Savior, they had already seen their master and their leader get crucified because, he, he, because of who he was. And he said, if you're going to be like the, no one can, is greater than his master. If they persecuted the master, they will also persecute you. And so they knew when they, when they made that confession, it wasn't just saying, yeah, Jesus is Lord. Their lives were on the line when they said it. He says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. And again, this is not just mental saying, you know, yeah, I believe Jesus is a good man. I believe, yeah, yeah, I believe he's a savior and stuff like that. It means you believe. It's something that you believe enough that it changes your life. It says, for with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So again, we're, this whole uh, Romans 9, 10, 11, um, the, what, we're, what we're showing from it is that because Calvinists use this to say, well, God selected certain people before the foundation of the world to be saved. And then he selected the other people that they were not going to be saved. Well, right here in Romans 10, verse 10, it's, or verse 11, it says, For the scripture says, whoever, and I love the King James because the King James says, whosoever. And I love that because that means there's no one left out. That means that there's not someone that God said, no, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to let Ruth come in. I'm going to let, I'm going to let Chris, uh, Cindy come in, but not Amy. Right. Why? Oh, it's just my eternal decree. He says, whosoever will believe will not be disappointed. 
And here's Paul again. And again, it just all ties in together that it's not about uh, in the Romans 9, 10, 11 is not about individuals being saved or damned. It's talking about a people. Now, here he begins to apply it to salvation. He says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever, and again, King James says, For whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now look at this. This is very important in verse 14. Well, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Well, it doesn't really matter, okay? Because God elected from the foundation of the earth who was going to be saved and who was not going to be saved. So none of these questions have any relevance because God's going to save who he's going to save and he's not going to save who he's not going to save. That's not what it says. He says in verse 15, And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. How beautiful are the feet of those who go and tell people who do not know about Jesus, there is a Jesus who wants to save you. And you are whoever, if you will open up your heart, if you will receive him and allow him to come into your heart, if you will repent of your sins, turn from your wicked ways, allow him to be the Lord and Savior of your life he will save you doesn't matter what you've done in your life doesn't matter if you've been a murderer a rapist if you've if you've whatever you've done if you repent and believe in him he will receive you unto himself and again it has nothing at all to do with God arbitrarily choosing or not choosing people 16, how did they, however, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Does it say faith comes by being elected, or God divinely, supernaturally choosing you? No, it says faith comes by hearing the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And how am I going to go preach to people if God's already elected who he's going to choose? He's already chosen who he's not going to choose. It's, it doesn't make any sense. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, and this, the thing is, is the gospel, especially now, the gospel has traveled to all ends of the world. And, you know, this is, has nothing to do with anything. But, but people are always talking about how, you know, Jesus commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, the thing is, is yes, at that time, because all the church was in Jerusalem. And he says, go out into the world. Well, now the church is in all the world. So now we need to live the gospel. He's already put us where we need to be. We need to just live it in front of people now. And I'm not saying that God doesn't call people to certain places. God still does do that and stuff like that. But but some people make that the focus. And God has called all people to... I mean, Keith Green used to do that. Keith Green believed that God called every single Christian to be a missionary. Well, I don't believe that that's true. Even though we love Keith Green. In, yeah, we but the point being is that we are called to be missionaries, but sometimes we're called to be missionaries right where we're at. And the thing is, too, is the 
God, and the Bible talks about in Romans 1 how God has through, made himself known and, and so that, that people are without excuse. And, and even in Acts, Paul was talking to people who were worshiping a foreign, an unknown God. And so people, there is a, a sense in which people know that there's a God. Now, but whether they're going to submit to him or not is a whole nother matter. Look at this in verse 19. He says, but I say, surely, and he's coming back to the point. What are we talking about? We're talking about Israel. Surely Israel did not know, did they? First, uh, did they? First, Moses says, now look again, what we talked about, how this was always in the Old Testament. He says, first, Moses says, and he's quoting from the Old Testament, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me, and I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Who is the people that God is using to make the people of Israel jealous? The Gentiles. Right? Again, it's over and over and over. And these are the keys to understanding these scriptures. And if you don't, if you try to try to insert some kind of Calvinistic, well, God is choosing you or not, that has nothing to do with that first and foremost. Those are, now God does bring it to personal and stuff, but those are used as examples of the people, the chosen peoples of God and who God is using as his representatives on the earth. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Jews were the chosen people of God. And in 1 Peter or 2 Peter, it makes it very clear that now in the New Covenant, all believers, whether Jew or Gentile, are now the chosen people of God. God has left the Jewish race with the Jewish tabernacle, with the Jewish covenants, with the Jewish, um, the ceremonial laws and the temple, he has gone away from that forever and will never, ever go back to it. That was the old covenant. There is now a new covenant based on people who have received him by faith. Now the people who receive him by faith, whether they be Jew, whether they be Gentile, it doesn't matter whether they be male or female, Jew, uh, Greek or, or Scythian, whatever. It doesn't matter. If you receive Jesus by faith, you are his chosen one. You are a part of the chosen people of God. And it's not because he chose you before creation. It's because you received him by faith. Chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And again, God is able to foreknow everything, right? So we're not saying that God doesn't have foreknowledge. Or do you not know the passage, uh, know about the scripture says in the passage about Elijah how he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they've killed your prophets and have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So Paul starts this in, in verse 1 by saying, well, God hasn't rejected his people. No, he hasn't. 
But what, but what does he say here? He, he's not saying that God is going to save the whole nation. He, but he is saying that God has always had a remnant of people. And he's, he's applying this to Jews, to Israel. He says, excuse me, what is the divine response to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now again, that's a small percentage of people, right? When you're talking about a whole nation. Look what he says in verse 5. In the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Now again, he's not choosing them arbitrarily or it's something and and what does it say it says it in the same way then there has also come to be at the present time he's not he's saying that god didn't make this choice before the foundation of the world he's making this choice in the present time he says there is a remnant according to god's gracious choice but but if it is by grace it is no longer on the basis of works otherwise grace is no longer grace what is, the part, what is the basis for God's choosing? Grace, receiving his grace through faith. Verse 7, what then, the Israel, what Israel is seeking, it is not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. And again, we talked about last time about hardening, right? And stuff, and he's saying right here that Israel has been hardened. He says, just as it is written, verse eight, God gave them over, gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block and a retribution to them, that their eyes be darkened to see not, and bend their backs forever. Turn to Mark chapter six. So he's saying that Israel is has been hardened, and we're going to see later that some of the ramifications of what that means. Um, Mark six verse forty five. Um, in verse forty five it says, and just, I'm, I just want to look at some things about being hardened. Uh, verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and he intended to pass by them. Now, there's a whole nother message just in that statement right there. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. And immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped and they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves when Jesus fed the 5,000, but their heart was hardened. So even Jesus' own disciples, their hearts were hardened. So again, when we think about hardening, we have to get out of our minds. And, and I do believe that there is a time when, when God does give you over to that hardening, right? But the thing is, is, is hardening, we have to, in our mindsets, not go to that in the first instance, right? When, anytime we see hardening, we don't, we don't go to the end result of that hardening and go, oh, that person's been hardened beyond repair. But uh, even in... Um, 
Isn't it Romans 12 that talks about like if the or if your branches are cut off, they even for their unbelief, that's Hebrews, even they can be grafted in. Yeah, so and actually not, we're going to look at that, but but it also talks about how 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 Esau after he sold his birthright and stuff that he 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 cried with loud cryings and tears and and God still didn't forgive him and things and and stuff and so I believe that there is a point where you can come to where God just releases takes his holy spirit and if if <laughs> without the holy spirit we are sunk right because it's only you know we can't come to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws us. It is the Holy Spirit who, who gives us the power, the right, the power to become the sons of God. It's only as His Spirit works in us, drawing us, that we want to come to God. And when He releases that, there's no hope for us. But I believe that God is very patient, and I believe that, that it, you know, it's a drastic thing for Him to do that. But that's kind of a... Hopefully, we might talk about that next time. I'm not sure. Um, turn to Matthew 13. Again, we're just kind of we're we're kind of recapping a little bit of the hardening thing. But Matthew 13, verse one says that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him so that he got in a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd was standing on the beach, and he spoke many things to them in parables. Now, we read part of this a couple times ago, but I just wanted to read the whole thing in context. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And so, again... We notice that with the hardening, it it had to do with how their hearts were receptive. Were their hearts soft? Were their hearts hard? Um, did they allow the enemy to come because they weren't careful over it? And in verse 10, And his disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. So again, if you want if you want God, the more you want of him, the more he will give you. If you don't want him, then you won't give he he won't give to you, right? And he's explaining this. Why did the the others fell on the good soil and you yielded a crop some 100 fold, some 60 and some 30? Why is that? Because he had some of God and wanted more of God. So again, it's not an arbitrary thing. Yeah, I'm just going to throw this seed. I know this person's not going to be saved anyway, but I'm going to throw the seed anyway. This, all of these examples, they were, they got fruit in accordance to how they responded to the seed. Does that make sense? 
says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, with their, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, if they open their eyes, if they open their hearts, he says, Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart in return, and I would heal them. I'm sorry. It's just similar to how Pharaoh hardened his heart first, it, and then and then God allowed a further hardening. It's exactly. like they already were hardening their hearts, and so God allowed them right. to have what they asked for. And, and again, that's the whole thing. Um, verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. Now, when it talks about not understanding it, that it, it's like it's not because he was dumb or because he didn't have the ability to understand it's because he didn't try to understand it right and again isn't that that's 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 being hard-hearted when when someone tries to talk to you about something but you don't want to listen to anything that they have to say right and so what happens is when when that happens the enemy steals the word away the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places this is a man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy I mean, I can't tell you how many people like we've witnessed to or shared Jesus with or I've seen people, say, you know, have the gospel shared with them. And man, they're like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, uh, like we had yeah, Marvin, Marvin. Yeah, we had him sit in our living room and he was all about it. Yes, I want it. I want to follow God and stuff. And next next day he's walking away. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it's this man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. In other words, he's not willing to stick it out. He's not willing to endure whatever it needs to to walk that way. He's not willing to pay the price. It's only temporary. Uh, oh, that was good. That was yesterday. That was all right. But I'm not going to stick that out. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And I cannot tell you how many people we've seen come to the Lord. And in almost every time when you see someone that it looks like they're truly coming to God, you're like, you better buckle up because it's going to happen. It's coming. Satan is going to buffet you. And if you're not ready, you're not going to be able to stand. And I've seen so many people who couldn't handle the buffeting, and they fell away. And the ones on whom seed was sown with thorns, this is a man who hears the word, and the worry of the world, my bills, my, my stuff, getting a bigger house, getting a nicer car, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, you know, I I got I gotta I gotta I gotta work at my job eighty hours a week because I'm going for that promotion, or uh, you know I'm I'm trying to get a better house, or uh, uh, you know my kids need it, you know. It says the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful, and the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is a man who hears the word, understands it, and indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some 30. So again, it's not arbitrary. 
It's not, well, God just didn't choose them for whatever reason. It's their response to the gospel and whether they allow that seed to go into their hearts and whether they... Thanks for listening, you guys. Um, I divided this message in half so that you guys would have more time to listen. Um, So you can finish this message next week. We will post it next week around probably on Thursday um, morning, hopefully. Um, So hope you enjoyed it so far. And the conclusion is going to be next week. So thanks for listening.